Welcome all to the Men of Sorrows Finding Joy podcast. I am William Lloyd, a man of sorrow. The podcast is committed to supporting and encouraging men to process their grief in order to heal and return to joyful living in the midst of great sadness. The reason for Men of Sorrows Finding Joy is geared toward men is the fact that in most of the grief support groups I attended after the death of Liam, men were noticeably absent. And one of the often heard reports of the wives, mothers, sisters about the men in the family was, well, they're angry. They keep busy. Big boys don't cry is a phrase I grew up with, but here men are invited to cry more and express their emotions by following the example of the best, bravest, strongest man that ever lived, Jesus Christ. During the days of his life on earth, Hebrews tells us he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And Isaiah 51 declares Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Today I sit down with pastor and teacher and author John Glenn. John Glenn served in Vietnam, and he is acquainted with grief and suffering. I sought out John for grief counseling when my son Liam died. John knew Liam since he was knee-high. I felt John was the one person who really understood, was able to listen and sort through things with me. He was close enough to Liam to understand, but far enough away from me and the family to really help me. I am eternally grateful for John's friendship, for his mentor, mentoring influence in my life, and for the Alpha Series. All right, I'm here with John Glenn, um, mentor of mine and friend and author of the Alpha Series. I'll let him tell you more about that. I remember on the Treasure Coast here in Florida, the Alpha Series came and different churches were opening their doors for John to come teach it. And there was kind of a mini revival right here in, in my community. A, a church had just split, was called Living Waters, and all the people from Living Waters came because they needed something good. After a church split, I was searching for something and the Lord led me to hear John teach the Alpha Series. And we've been friends now for it's almost 30 years, John. Yeah, it's yeah. unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, just like that. Blink of an That's eye. Good. So um, when did you, you wrote the Alpha Series when you were in Colorado, pastor in a church. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I didn't actually write it then, Bill. But what happened was I, you know, I was pastoring a church there. I'd been pastoring 17 years in Colorado Springs. And, you know, it was time to, Lord made it clear it was time for me to move. And, you know, I didn't really have any any specific place to go uh, necessarily, but he kind of gave me three choices. He said, you can go, you can either go to Southern California or you could go to New York, uh, specifically New York City, or you can go to South Florida. And of the three, I thought, you know, I, I hadn't really lived in any of those places. And I thought, well, 
I knew a fellow in South Florida. His name was Terry Morris. He was working for Youth for Christ. I had discipled he and his wife uh, back in Colorado, and they were had a little ministry going down in Fort Lauderdale, and I'd visited him on one occasion. So I said, all right, Lord, I'd like to go to South Florida. Mm-hmm. Of course, there was a lot of concern, you know, about, well, how are you going to make it, you know, financially? You know, that's a long move from Colorado all the way down to South Florida. I had a wife and a little girl at the time, and I'm thinking, you know, Lord, what am I going to do about this? So I took a little retreat, um, went up to Breckenridge in the mountains and spent a week in a cabin up there and uh, just wanted to pray about it and, you know, think it through. I had, at that point, I had pretty well determined that I was going, uh, but I didn't know how or any of that sort of thing. So I'm out on the front porch, just kind of whining to God about not having any resources, not having direction, and so on. And while I'm walking back and forth on this porch, on this cabin, I bump my head on a bird feeder. (laughs) And immediately the Lord said, hey, if I can feed the fowl of the air every day, I can take care of you. Just do Mm -hmm. what I tell you to do. I said, all right. I couldn't help myself, you know. I had to look inside the feeder to see if anything was in there, (laughs) you know, just to check it out, so to speak, right? Yeah, yeah. And of course it was empty, you know, and immediately the Lord spoke again and said, that's what you get when you trust man to support you. So (laughs) don't base your support on man, you know, trust me. But anyhow, on the way home, I had already determined, okay, I've got to, got to go I said, you know, what do you want me to tell people? What do you want me to do? And he says, I want you to go to South Florida and find those who are worthy. And that kind of took me back a little bit because I really didn't know what that meant. You know, I had had read in Matthew, you know, where Jesus sent his disciples out. And he said, when you enter a village, inquire who is worthy and there abide, et cetera, et cetera. Let your peace come on the house and all that. But I really didn't have any understanding of what that meant. Mm-hmm. But I heard it loud and clear over and over again. So go find those who are worthy. And so I said on the way home, it's about a two-hour drive, you know, from Breckenridge back to Colorado Springs and, and through the mountains and course, immediately, you know, my wife and daughter, they're sound asleep in the car, you know. So <laughs> I'm praying. I've said, okay, Lord, if I find anybody that's worthy, what do you want me to tell them? What do you want me to share with them? Yeah. And in that two-hour drive on the way back, you know, the Lord... I, don't, I can't explain how it happened, but he put the entire sequence of the Alpha series, uh, beginning with the question, who are you, and going all the way through to relational ministry of loving other people, he put it in a, in a step-by-step sequence for me. And he just kind of, you know, I can't explain it in any other way than he just tied things together for me put it in my mind. It was almost like he took the 
top of my skull off and just poured it in. And I, I didn't well, really put a flash drive in your ear. Say what? Or put one of those thumb drives from the computer in your ear and down. Yeah, you just stuck it in there, man. I'm going, what? What is this? And yeah. you know what? What was cool about it was that you know I just kind of let it slide because I got caught up with the move. You know, I mm -hmm. had to, you know, make a trip down to Florida and, and hang out with my friends there and there for a little bit. Then I had to come back and get everything and move move all our possessions and all that stuff down. And my wife Sandy stayed there and went to work as a nurse, you know, in the hospital there. And so I got really bogged down with all the move. But after it was all said and done, I began teaching in a in a place called uh, Coral Ridge Psychiatric Hospital as a psych tech in what was then known as the Rafa program. It was an inpatient psychiatric program for uh, various people with with mental health issues. And so I, I did a part-time thing with them, teaching about three weeks, running groups and that sort of thing. And as I began to do this, the stuff started bubbling out of me, you know, mm -hmm. just spontaneously coming out. So mm -hmm. I look back on it now and I think, you know, the first church I had in South Florida, the first assembly of people who are worthy was about nine or 10 psychiatric patients coming off their psych drugs in preparation for a trial run on clozapine, a new new psychiatric drug. And I met with them around the pool on Sunday mornings and, you know, shared with them the gospel, basically. Yeah. And, uh, I and that was here in that, Florida? Yeah, in, in, in Fort Lauderdale, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm thinking, man, what a crazy... Lord, you're really crazy about the people you think are worthy. <laughs> <laughs> These people had no uh, no worth to society at all. You know, mm -hmm. they were uh, by and large worthless and locked up because they were crazy. Yeah. And so, but the Lord kept telling me, you know, go find those who are worthy. Well, that kind of morphed into. Uh, a work that I began with a place called Faith Farm. Faith Farm has uh, been around a long time. It, it was a, a drug, drug and alcohol rehab program, basically a Christ-centered program that's been in South Florida now for about 62 years. I mean, it's been around a long time. Mm -hmm. And I got wind of, of them needing a teacher and their a transition program at the close of the program or at the, the close of their stay there, the guys would go through a six-week transitional program and uh, then go back home. And they needed a teacher for that. So, you know, I applied and they were miraculously hired me. I don't know. You know, I went from a fundamental background, you know, as a Baptist to a pew-jumping charismaniac group, you know, yeah. And faith farm and and yet the lord was kept telling me you know go find those who are worthy so i went from you know having 12 uh, psychiatric patients off their meds uh, to having 12 drug addicts or alcoholics off the street of fort lauderdale 
as mm -hmm. those who were worthy, you know, mm -hmm. and I began to teach. That was, I, th I think, where the Alpha Series really solidified. Mm -hmm. And the reason, in fact, well, that I call it the Alpha Series is because uh, the first place all that that the Lord had given me came together was right there in Fort Lauderdale at Faith Farm in what they call the Alpha Program. And they mm -hmm. also had an Omega Program, which was a halfway house type of thing, uh, after the guys finished their Alpha Program. But the Alpha Program was six weeks. So I taught uh, two, uh, two days a week, four hours in the afternoon from one o'clock to five o'clock on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I taught these 12 drug addicts or alcoholics, whoever I had at the time, for a total of six weeks. And that became the overview and the outlet that God gave me for the Alpha Series. Mm -hmm. Now, it was during that time that I also began to recognize it had some impact on the staff that was there as well. And it also had impact on actually the founder, uh, Garland Easton. He, he came and sat through an entire alpha class uh, with me as I taught. And it was then that he said, he called me aside and we spent four or five days uh, visiting in his little apartment. And he said, I want you to go to Okeechobee and I want you to start a training center there for me. I said, mm -hmm. all right. Well, I didn't really like Fort Lauderdale anyhow. I'd rather be out in the woods. So uh, we moved up here. But during that transition time, I realized that the Alpha Series, what I was teaching in the Alpha Series that God had given me was life-changing, not just for the men who came through the program, but for their families and for people outside in the community. Because I was also, uh, Terry Morris and I initiated a house church um, while we were there. And, and of course, that was the, the main curriculum for the house church. It was, I just couldn't get it out of my head. And that's whenever I spoke, that's what came out. And so uh, what is now known as the Alpha Series has been refined uh, somewhat because years ago we did our first uh, video recording and, and it was actually a miraculous thing that took place. The church in Indian town sponsored it and we recorded uh, actually 12 two hour sessions um, in about three or four days. Mm -hmm. And it was because the camera and equipment was so expensive. So, uh, that was a miracle. We had a, a fellow who uh, came down to oversee it, who was actually a television producer in Orlando, and he volunteered to come and do it. We had a lot of volunteer help. It was tremendous. I would teach three sessions a day, start at nine o'clock in the morning and one o'clock in the afternoon, and then seven o'clock at night. And I taught those three sessions for four days, and that became the 12 chapters, if you will, of the Alpha series. Now, once I had it on tape, then it was fairly easy for me to go back and just write, uh, write out what the Lord had given me, and I, I had spoken in the Alpha series. People seem to be kind of uh, amazed in a way 
when I teach the Alpha Series because I'm not teaching from notes. I'm not teaching mm -hmm. from uh, written out charts, even though I've attempted uh, several times to put, put it to PowerPoints and that sort of thing. What I'm teaching is what God gave me in Colorado years ago. Mm -hmm. And he wrote it on my heart. He put it inside. And every time I start to teach, boom, out it comes, you know. And so it's not pre-programmed uh, other than by God. So, Bill, I can't take any credit for the Alpha Series. I really can't. And when we started taping it and putting it out, uh, you know, I, I had a, especially with the videotapes, I had a fellow warn me one time and say, hey, you know, you ought to put a warning on this about you know, copying and reproducing and selling <laughs> these things, you know. And I said, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I'll put a warning on there. And the warning is this. If you fail to copy, reproduce, and spread this message, then you've missed the whole point of the Alpha series. So, yes. You know, yeah. but that's where it came from. And, yeah. you know, it continues to to bubble out of me and other people like yourself, that you've heard the message, uh, not from me only, but from God. You know, God has affirmed it in your own heart, in your own mind. He has taught you himself. And so I'm just the vehicle that God is using to get the word out, get the message out of our new identity in Christ and everything the Alpha Series uh, involves. That tape series that you talked about is the audio is what is the first 16 podcasts we have that we, we just reproduced it and downloaded it to audio. And now it's on the podcast. It was it was definitely life changing for me. And like you said, God was preparing my heart to hear it because your heart has to be ready. I was really frustrated with the church and there was a guy named Bob George that was on the radio and he wrote a couple books and that kind of first introduced me to the idea of grace as a lifestyle, not just as a topic. Right. And I wrote them and I said, listen, I, I am so frustrated with the churches that I'm going to because of the mixture of grace and laws, well-intentioned as they are. And they said, well, go down to see this person. And it was down in Boca. So we went down there. And the people there said, what, you're all the way up there in Martin County? Um, how come you don't go see, you know, to John Glenn's church? I said, I have no idea who you're talking about. So they gave me the information. They gave me Sue and Buzz Mullins number. And they were, you were teaching. He had like that little classroom right on his property right. down in Jupiter. So I went down there. And the first time I heard it, you were going over to Solomon syndrome. And it, it blew me away because you included that night and I've watched you teach it since and you don't always include it. You talk about the Christian Solomon syndrome about, Oh, I'll be worthy if I win souls to Jesus. I'll be worthy if I read my Bible. And that's right where I was at. You know, right. I go, I went all the way to central America to tell people God loved them to get God to love me. Yeah. <laughs> How stupid is that? Right. That, that connected and God just, he hit me hard. Now, that doesn't mean that you, know, you hear it once. I, I went, you came over to the Grace Place. And I was, I was, I went and went at least twice. I went through the entire class there. And then my life fell apart. So that was a good thing. 
right? <laughs> right? But, but it fell apart in the sense that all the sandcastles that I built, not only on the beach, but in the air, and, and God prepared me for that because he was putting something new, brand new together. So that was that was my experience. I remember Terry Morris. I remember like he I, I said, What is Nick Nolte doing here? I thought he looked like a young Nick Nolte. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I but I, I thought the opposite because I thought that he I thought he followed you here. No, no. Because he he was trying to do with the Sunday school stuff a little bit. He was ahead ahead of the curve. He said, you know, these kids have different learning styles, you know. Right. And, you know, you just can't sit them in there and, you know, read or he had them going outside and playing and lots of different stuff. That was pretty cool. So right now on on the podcast, we have up we have up to the beginning of Romans seven with dependence on the spirit and the freedom of the spirit. So up to that point, you're proving to people that they're worthy. You're proving to people that they're joined to Christ inseparably. You're proven to them they are internally secure and then right after that you turn the corner and you you start teaching on suffering and i remember you saying that nothing makes us question god's love for us more than when we suffer why don't you go over to three points of that because that's right where we are at in the study okay um it hit me kind of like a ton of bricks when i first read it in romans 8 i had studied Romans before and uh, even before the Lord revealed to me what I, I know now as the office series. It didn't really dawn on me then uh, as much as it has later that, you know, the Romans 6, 7, and 8 is what I call the gospel or the good news for believers. Mm -hmm. In other words, people think the good news is just, you know, well, you trust Jesus and you might not have to go to hell. Yeah. If yep. you behave yourself. Right? Fire insurance. Yep. Yeah. So they, you know, they typically think of it as being something in the future, you know, that, okay, well, maybe I'll get to go to heaven instead of hell when I die, you know, if I trust Jesus. But they miss the personal application of it, you know, and it, it really hit me uh, strong that, you know, the gospel is a personal thing that Jesus, and we'd say the words, and, we, you know, I was raised up in the church, and I, mm -hmm. I heard the word over and over again, you know, Jesus is your personal Savior. Mm -hmm. But I never really understood what that meant, you know, other than an individual Savior, maybe. I, I made that connection. But the personal Savior is that he saves us in in supplying our personal needs in other words just like we would save us physically he would save us personally as well and i never really made that connection until i got the alpha series going but kind of digress there a little bit romans 6 7 and 8 is all a proof that jesus is our personal savior that is he makes us worthy he makes us secure in his love, significant in his plan. And as you mentioned, Bill, he makes us eternally secure. And he loves us and he's given us meaning and purpose. And all of those personal needs we have are met uh, by Jesus. 
in him. And that's the good news. That's the gospel. Now, the problem is believing that, okay? And, you know, you get on a roll when you're studying Romans 6, 7, and 8, right up until about verse 17 in chapter 8, everything's great. I mean, you know, he tells us we're dead to sin in chapter 6. He tells us we're dead to the law in chapter 7. And he tells us we're alive in the spirit in chapter 8. And that goes all the way through verse 17. But in verse 17, he suddenly shifts gears and he says that we are joint heirs with Christ. If so be, we suffer with him. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, wait a minute, yeah. wait a minute, wait a minute. You're talking all this good stuff and you're my personal savior and I like that, but what's this suffering business? Because I mm -hmm. had in my idea the, the religious notion that if I was really pleasing God, I wouldn't suffer. I wouldn't mm -hmm. have any problem. Yep, exactly. If, if I was really doing what God wanted me to do, you know, being where he wanted me to be, et cetera, et cetera, which was essentially just keeping that little law system that I had in my own mind of what mm -hmm. I ought to do to be a good Christian. Then if I did that and I did it perfectly, then God wouldn't let me suffer. And then it dawned on me that no one was a better Christian than Jesus. And yet no one has ever suffered more than Jesus. Yeah. So I said, man, there's, there's something I don't know about suffering here. Mm -hmm. Then it started, started opening my eyes, you know, to other passages like James, you know, old practical, no nonsense James. He comes along and says, hey, you know, count it all joy when you fall into various trials and problems, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, either James is a lunatic or he knows something about suffering we don't know. Yeah. And, you know, the, the stories in the Acts, you know, where Paul and Silas are beaten and thrown in prison. They're able to sing praises to God at midnight and with an uncertain future facing death. You know, what's going on with this? There's something I don't understand about it. And right there in Romans 8, Paul begins to explain it. You know, he says uh, in verse 18, I reckon or I count on the fact that the sufferings of this present world, of this present age that we're living in right now, are not worthy to be compared with the glory, rejoicing that shall be revealed in us. So I began to see this connection between suffering and glory. And mm -hmm. so, it, you know, up to that point, probably my goal, like every other Christian, is to avoid suffering at all costs, you know, because suffering hurts. Yeah. Nobody wants to suffer. Yeah. And so I wanted to avoid it at all costs. But then I began to realize that God has a plan and a purpose in suffering uh, that I had not yet seen. And it was for my benefit and welfare. And so it dawned on me at that point that, you know, the way God sees suffering is a lot different than the way we see it. You know, that he has, and what I came up with to try to express that, he has an eternal view of suffering. You know, we have a temporal view of suffering, just like, you know, a, a temporal view of everything else. And what I mean by that 
is that we can only see it within the realm of time. You know, we can, we're suffering today. We can remember suffering yesterday and we can project that we might be suffering in the future, but we can only experience the present right now. Well, that's not the way God looks at stuff. You know, he is eternal. And it's not just with regards to suffering, but all issues. He has an eternal perspective. And so that's where I came up with this idea of the eternal view of suffering. The three simple points that I try to share with people concerning that is first and foremost, as we were just talking, number one, don't be shocked when you suffer. Don't consider it to be some strange thing that has happened to you. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I know like I've done this and many other people try to make a deal with God. You know, God, yeah. I'm going to behave myself. I'm going to be good. I'm going to go to church and pretend I enjoy it. You know, I'm, I'm going to win souls to you and et cetera, et cetera. And you, God, you don't ever let me get cancer. Don't ever let me have problems. Don't ever let my kids get hooked on drugs. Don't ever let me experience any of the bad suffering at all because what I'm going to do for you, God, problem Mm -hmm. is we can make that deal with God, but he don't make that deal with us. No. In fact, suffering is part and parcel of what we have to do. So when you look at the scriptures, you, you see this, this heresy, and I call it heresy now, that that has swept our country in recent years, uh, saying that basically you can figure out a way not to suffer. Right. Okay? That's the name it and acclaim it, blab it and grab it kind of gospel. Yeah. It says, oh, if you had enough faith, you wouldn't have to suffer. Right. Well, I, I think that is, is a total uh, abject, uh, blasphemy against the gospel. Really. It is. The gospel is not avoiding suffer. The gospel tells us how to suffer and how to suffer yeah. meaningfully and go through it according yeah. to the plan of God. So yeah. the way the Lord, the Lord, way the Lord gave that to me was, well, you know, the whole story. When my son Liam died, I was like in agony and I was guilty and I could have, would have, should have. And the way he spoke it to me was, Son, I didn't come light years across the universe, incarnate, suffer, die, rise again, and ascend so that you would all get your act together to keep bad things from happening. I did all that because sin and death happened. And that kind of clicked the light bulb on. That was one of the things. But that's what you're saying is that the, the gospel of Christ is he came and is the answer to it all. And he did it because... It's right. happened. Not there's no way we're going to prevent it. No, he did, he wasn't trying to give us a, a get out of jail free card. You know that would yeah. prevent suffering in our lives. He was showing us how to deal with it, and that's what I appreciated about the end of Romans chapter eight. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul uh, just nails it right on the head when he's when he tells us why we suffer. We suffer because we live in a sin cursed world that's falling apart at the seams. I mean, ever since Adam in the garden, sin was introduced and death by sin. So all suffering originated from the sin of Adam, which really originated with the sin of Lucifer, the high angel. That's where evil comes from. See, Mm -hmm. evil, evil doesn't just 
uh, isn't something that's just generated and just out there. It's a consequence of a free choice of created beings rebelling against God. Mm-hmm. And when Satan did that, evil was present. When when Adam did that, evil was present. He, it created evil. Now, we could say, we I don't want to get caught on this theological yeah. point. Uh, yeah. We could say that, you know, God could have prevented that. You know, God's big enough or he could. Well, no, he couldn't really because his overall purpose is to have a loving relationship with us. Now, how are you going to have a loving relationship with someone if you don't give them the freedom of choice to love you back? Mm-hmm. You know, I could hold a gun to your head and say, hey, Bill, do you love me? What are you going to say? Yes, sir. Love you, man. Sure. Yeah. You can't have my Bud Light, but I love you, man. <laughs> you know, but that's that's coerced. That's forced. You know, that's yeah. a free choice. And so it's not real love. There's no right. loving relationship in that. And in, in order to give have that ro- loving relationship, God has to give us a free choice, which we can and do use to rebel against him and evil results from that. Well, Paul outlines this in general terms in Romans 8 when he says, look, the whole creation was made subject to vanity, not by its own choice, but by the choice of one who subjected it in hope. In other words, you know, Adam made that choice. Sin entered the world. Things began to grow old and fall apart. The second law of thermodynamics took effect, and the world brought in suffering. Now, not only do we live in a world that's falling apart at the seams because of sin, we also live in bodies, physical bodies that are falling apart at the seams and growing old and going to yeah. die because of sin. So all of that occasions our suffering. Mm -hmm. One thing I really appreciated about Romans 8 was that Paul didn't say, you're suffering terribly and it's your fault. Mm -hmm. You're suffering terribly and if you quit doing what you're doing, then you'll get out of it. That's not how he explained his issue of suffering at all. He said, look, not only is the world suffering so that the whole creation groans and travails together in pain until now, but also there's no place for you to go where there isn't suffering. I mean, where are you going to go outside? Mm-hmm. Of, you can't go outside of the creation and the whole creation's suffering. So mm-hmm. with that being dealt with, he goes on to interject the idea of hope. Mm-hmm. And that hope is really the function of the spirit working in us as we believe in God and in his provisions through our suffering. And so the second point of the eternal view of suffering is see the end at the beginning. Now that's a little little weird because what it's calling for is faith that'll produce hope in you. See the end at the beginning really means that you are able to see God's point of view through it and through your suffering at the very beginning of your suffering. Yeah. This is what James was talking about when he said, look, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Well, how are you going to count it all joy when you enter into a problem? You're only going to do that through the eyes of faith when you can actually see the end 
of your suffering at the beginning. What God is doing in Christ is getting us through that suffering so that we enter into his blessings and his glory and his rejoicing at the end of that. And you see that everywhere in the scripture. You know, the probably one of the most famous right out of Romans is in Romans chapter five, when he says, not only do we have peace with God because we're justified by faith, but we also have access into this grace wherein we stand, knowing that tribulation works patience and patience experience. And by the way, that word experience means having been tried and suffering and found approved and experience uh, works hope and hope never makes you ashamed because of the love of God, which surpasses everything. So mm -hmm. there's, when you see the end at the beginning through the eyes of faith, you begin to have hope and that hope gives us the endurance to continue on despite the suffering, to continue on despite all the pain associated with it. And of course, at the very end of that discussion, the third point is just simply uh, that you, you recognize, you know fully and completely you are not going to lose. There's no way for you to lose at all. So that's essentially what, what I got out of Romans chapter 8, uh, the last part. Another step, and I like, love the way Paul puts it at the end, what shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nobody, nothing's going to separate from his love. No mm -hmm. amount of suffering, and there's much, much more you can add to it, but that's the overview there, Bill. Yeah, and I, that Romans chapter 8, and like you said, he never goes into addressing the problem of why there is evil, and he never talks about how we could avoid it. He's very, a lot of compassion in that. I, I, I just sense it in his writings. And, you know, at the end, he says, for I am convinced that me, and, and I think that convincing was all the suffering that he went through and the yeah. comfort that he received from the spirit. Exactly. Right? The comfort that he received. I remember right after I really learned the Alpha series, I I I went I went through a divorce. My first wife kind of went off the deep end, and that was suffering. And I remember thinking, well, she asked me for a divorce, but she's not going anywhere. So I'm stuck here, right? And I was getting depressed because I figured I'm stuck in this loveless, sexless marriage. And I was about uh, what 36 at the time. So then I thought, well, you know what? Let me let me go through this. I was walking the streets trying to sort all this out because I was anxious. I couldn't sleep. It was all falling apart. And I said, let me look at the end. Um, I'm not surprised this stuff happens. And I said, all right, I'll look at the end from the beginning. That's going to give me hope. So I and I was pretty depressed. And I said, okay. I said, so say that I'm stuck in this marriage and I live out my days like this. What am I going to live? another 40, 50, 60 years tops. You know, I was 30. I want to live into my 80s or 90s, right? Even if I live, what's 50 years in the light of eternity? What's 50 years in the light of a billion years? That's the only way I could measure it, although eternity yeah. isn't like that. It is not like a long time, but I, I, in my mind, it helped because I figured, well, one day I'll be like, I'll run into John Glenn and I'll say, John, I haven't seen you in a million years. 
how's the ranch? How's the mansion? How's Sandy doing? You know what I mean? And I started rehearsing all that in my mind and I got filled with joy because I knew that that I felt stuck. I felt like it was never going to change. That was causing the negative thinking and the depression. But once I switched on and really knew that Jesus had me and that I had this exhilarating future, that this was really not the end of the story, just like divorce or death, this wasn't the end. I got filled with a lot of hope and joy. Oh, yeah. And it gave me the ability to actually, okay, how am I going to love this person in this? And it helped me to focus on Liam. He was only six or seven or, yeah, seven or eight at the time. So, but I remember that night, all of a sudden feeling this, this hope. Now they were hard. I still went through the hard time, but I went through it with hope and, and exactly. rejoicing. And it gave me that perseverance. Now I faced that again when Liam died. And I remember the morning after I was so naive. Well, I'm going to go for a walk, review the eternal view of suffering, and I'm going to feel better. <laughs> you know, I had a lot of mourning to do and a lot of suffering, but that was always in my mind. And nothing like it's really hard. But I remember driving to school with Grace a few months later, still really hurting and starting to talk out loud the eternal view of suffering. And the hope kicked in and the hope is here. When Paul tells us that we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, he's telling us the way I hear that is that he's telling us that our life right now on this earth is just as important as Jesus' life when he walked this earth. Oh, yeah. That's what it means to be an heir, right? And a joint heir, that our life on this earth is just as important and valuable to God as Jesus Christ when he walked the earth. Oh, certainly. You know, and that, I think that's the whole gist of, of the gospel for believers is that um, I know it almost sounds uh, like we've gone off the deep end when we say it, but there is a sense in reality uh, when I can, I can tell believers, you are Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, I say that over and over again. And people look at me funny, like I got two heads because they think I'm blaspheming. And mm -hmm. I'm not saying you are the Christ, you know, right. you're the one and only Christ. But I'm saying you are Christ. You're a member of his body. You have his calling. You are filled with his spirit, controlled by his spirit. You are Christ. You are a child of God is like he was, so you are Christ. And that, and that whole concept of joint heirs, I think, uh, really is what we need to understand that that's what gives our life uh, not only security, but it gives us meaning and purpose and importance. You know, the fact that we are Christ's representatives here. You're ambassadors for Christ. You are the person that God has made you to be as the Christ he has made you to be are his representative here on earth, just like Jesus was when he was here. Right. So when he ascended back in the, in, again unto the Father and he sent the Spirit, that was to direct every member of his body to complete the work that God had before ordained that they should do to 
be Christ to others and to represent Christ here on this on this earth. So I think you're absolutely right, Bill. I think, you know, the joint heirs uh, speaks of a, a marvelous union we have mm-hmm. with Christ. And yeah. You talk about giving us hope. I mean, yes. You know, yeah. going through suffering, you know, and I, I've had times when I've, I've suffered, you know, both physically and emotionally. And, you know, to me, it was probably the worst suffering in the world, you know, because it's mm-hmm. my suffering, right? Yeah. Um, the worst suffering is always your own suffering, but uh, everything else is relative. But the, the idea was, you know, that gave me a lot of hope was identifying with Christ in that period of time yeah. you know that that did am i suffering yeah did he suffer oh yeah yeah he suffered and the writer of hebrews you know tells us uh, that in hebrews chapter 12 when he says hey you know let's consider jesus the author and finisher of your faith you know who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame mm-hmm. in other words it is that hope, that joy that we have that gives us the endurance for our suffering, whatever right. nature it is. You know, one of the things, and, and I've heard you say it, and it's a misconception I think people had, and you maybe you can address it, is that, well, when we talk about suffering for Christ's sake, we're talking about getting punched in the nose because we shared the gospel with somebody or thrown in jail course, we're teaching the gospel, but what about people that they suffer because they did something stupid? Is that for Christ's sake, right? Yeah. How, how would you answer that? Well, it's it is for Christ's sake in a sense because you have if you understand the critical issue of the gospel is that you are joined inseparably to Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, the you we are talking about, as is revealed in Romans 6, 7, and 8, is this brand new creature that God has created you to be in Christ. That's the real you. But remember, you're living in a body that is still a physical body that still has the presence of sin dwelling in it, the Bible calls the flesh. So when you, as a new person, living in the sin-cursed body of the flesh, are actually blindsided by the flesh and your stinking flesh flashes and does something stupid you're going to suffer for that as a new person and that that is because you are christ and he has left you here in this sin-cursed body that's falling apart with that flesh that's why most of romans 8 uh, gives us prior to the suffering passage gives us the promises of God concerning the indwelling spirit, that you're under no condemnation. You have the mind of Christ and the same spirit that lived in Christ and raised him from the dead is living in you and will cause this sin-cursed mortal body to come alive with the life of Christ. So there's a battle there that rages within between the brand new creature we are in that stinking flesh that we still have. And even when that flesh flashes, doesn't mean when I say it's not you that sinned, 
I mean, the new person is not, that doesn't mean that you're going to avoid the consequences of that. Okay. Right. Yeah. Because they can yeah. still put that sin cursed body in jail. Yeah. Exactly. Or a ticket or whatever. So, yeah. But even that is suffering for Christ. Because he has, he's, he's left us here for his purposes to love others. Right. And, since we're here for his purposes, we are suffering for his for his sake. Yeah. I remember when my dad died, he, he died on Christmas Eve, and my brother brought him back, and my sister was mad, and I was wondering what was going on, you know, like mm, my dad wanted to go. But I think really when I look at his story, he had one more person to love. The 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 nurse, the nurse that took care of him, Larry came and talked about how how much my dad cared about him and loved him and it blew him away and he he called to go to the service so the suffering that we do is all for the sake of the gospel for the sake of christ doesn't matter if if we do something stupid and that hope the hope that paul's talking about john you know how it says that he works all things together for the good? Yeah. He works all things together for the good. But he defines the good, he says, because those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that's the good that he's working, is conforming us to the image of his son. And he says those he, those he justified, those he called, he justified, those he justified, he glorified. He's so sure of the glorification, he speaks about it in the past tense. So that's right. where we'll kind of end, is talking a little bit about the glorification means we're out of these sin-cursed bodies, in a sin-cursed world, with God forever and ever. That's that's the hope. That's the path we're yeah. on. Yeah, and there's, there's no alteration from it. I mean, in that same passage, we're being conformed to his image. Right. You know, there's... That's why he works all things together for our good, because ultimately that's where we're going. Yeah. So just real quick, we'll speculate a little bit before we sign off. The new bodies, are they there waiting for us in, in heaven? The new body we, what? Is our new body waiting for us already in heaven? or is Yeah, they're already in the heavenlies, man. We yeah. A brand new body. I, I see it as a closet, God's closet, you know. And there's my body hanging there, waiting on my spirit to get in it to just produce a new soul, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because there's, I mean, there's a lot of speculation about how it's all going to work out in the end. But I, I just feel like the new heaven and the new earth's made already and that our new bodies are waiting. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't know if this, I don't know. Well, they're, let's put it this way. They're waiting from our perspective. So remember that eternal view again. Oh, yeah. you know, they're waiting from our perspective, but from God's perspective, we're already there. We're yeah. already rejoicing with him, you know. Yeah, you know, you, you told me last week, you were, and I said, well, don't you think, like, my dad will be able to look on, look in on Grace's wedding. He'll be able to look on. And you said, well, you can look on in on your own wedding. Yeah. <laughs> Right. There was a really did you ever watch that? There's a TV program. This is us. It's yeah. a really, really good show. Well, they they ended it. 
they ended it with a mom dies and she's on this and when she's passing into the next life she's on this train and she runs into people that have passed on before and it seemed like they were helping her with the transition and at one point she saw her her son but there were three versions of her son there all interacting yeah. the 10 year old the teenager and then the you know the 40 year old man i was like man that is really weird but and she's watching yeah. it and then it happened with the other son and then uh in the end her husband had already died and she 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 connects with him and yeah, he with him. he tells her not to be worried you know that like the trend and, exactly. and that's yeah. i think that's kind of the heart of what paul is saying when he says the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the yeah. glory, the yeah. rejoicing that yeah. should be revealed I, in us. So. I remember you saying that if we had a scale, the way Paul, the Greek language, you're saying if they had one of those measuring scales, you know, the balancing measuring scales, you would put right. an elephant on one side and a feather on the other. Exactly. Not worthy <laughs> to be compared. Yeah, yeah. understand a little bit more about the Alpha Series and in the show notes there will be a link to the Alpha Ministries website, the Alpha Ministries Church in the Woods Facebook page and also Alpha Ministries has its own podcast. In fact this is going to be a crossover episode where this interview with John Glenn will also appear on the Alpha Series podcast. So all that information is in the show notes. If you wanted to email John or myself, our emails are in there. There's also a link to the Amazon book. You know, the, there's a link to if you wanted to get the Alpha Series workbook online through Amazon. You can get it through the Alpha Ministries website as well. Thank you again for tuning in. And remember, God's grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. And that hope that we talked about in the podcast that we ended with is real. I can tell you it's real because I have that hope. And that hope raised me from such despair of losing my son, Liam, to suicide. That hope when it became real, brought me back to life where I could engage with life again. I could have joy again. I'm always sad, but the joy is immeasurable. The joy is real and the hope is real. And I know the end at the beginning. I'm traveling on this road and I know at the end of the road, I'm going to see my son and Jesus and my son and I are going to have a big, big reunion and rejoicing along with the host of others all that have gone before us it's a beautiful thing and that's what we're looking forward to god bless you saints <laughs>